Well, good evening. Good to see everybody tonight. Do you have a Bible tonight? We're going to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, fourth division of the book of Revelation, and that's where we'll spend a good bit of our time this evening. And while you're opening your Bible and getting settled, we welcome all of you. Thank you so much for being here on this Wednesday night. You all have been so good from night to night and morning to morning to be here and to encourage us in the work that we've tried to do this week. <clears throat> and that certainly is not gone unnoticed, nor is it unappreciated. We appreciate so much the fact that you are here and for the encouragement that, that you give us in that. <clears throat> I uh, have tried to express from day to day and night to night how much I have enjoyed being with you. We've been together on multiple occasions before and they've always been so very pleasant as, just as this week has been as well. You all are so very gracious. You're very hospitable. You make me feel very much at home among you and for that I am very, very grateful. I appreciate every one of you who have provided a meal for me this week. We've gone to a restaurant or we've had a cup of coffee together and been able to visit and get to know each other a little bit better. And I have enjoyed that just immensely. It's been one of the real pleasures of this week. I appreciate everybody who's helped us with the meeting this week. Not only in the work that I know that you all did prior to the meeting in trying to invite others to come and to be here, and that's been reflected in the number of visitors that we have had this week. And so I thank you for that. But I appreciate those who've helped us worship this week, those who have led us in prayers, and I appreciate very much Kendall, who's led our singing from night to night, and Richard in the morning sessions, and that has been wonderful, and the singing has been outstanding. I have enjoyed that much. And what a pleasure this week for me to get to uh, to be with <clears throat> Drew and to meet him. Uh, I think probably our paths may have crossed once or twice, but actually got to visit a little bit this week, and I am very happy that he's with you, and I know that you are happy that he and Megan and their family are with you. And I pray that you will have a good, long, hand-in-glove relationship for a long, long time that will serve this church very, very well. And, of course, I'm happy to get to be with Leon. Leon and my father were friends, and so that has always created a special tie. But beyond that, I have had great regard for the work that he and Alma have done. Wherever they have been, the Lord's people have prospered. And for that, I'm grateful. What a wonderful legacy that is. And so it's always a pleasure when I get to be with them and get to visit with them and spend time with Leon. That always makes me better. And so for that opportunity, I'm grateful too. And then finally, to your shepherds, just for the invitation to be with you again. For that too, I am grateful. And I pray that what we've talked about this week has helped us as we're all trying just to navigate our way from earth to heaven. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. We want to talk about the heaven aspect of that. And while through the course of this week we have talked about the navigating from earth and our life on earth and our Christian life on earth where we live, tonight we'd like to shift our focus just a little bit and talk for a moment about heaven. Sing to me, sing to me of heaven. You know, the songs about heaven, I think, are just the best. They are some of the most beautiful songs that we sing. I love to sing, by the way. The problem is that not everybody appreciates my singing ability, probably because I have none. And so <clears throat> that's the reason it's not appreciated. At Temple Terrace, where uh, I've worshipped for so long, I bet that I have asked to lead singing at least a hundred times. And every time, the answer is exactly the same. Absolutely not. They just will not even consider it. But I do believe, I do believe that it's about to change a little bit because I believe, if I understand correctly, they are just about to let me sing a solo 
of the old rugged cross. I believe that's true because I heard one of the elders say to somebody, look, we're only going to let Don sing on a hill far away. And so maybe they meant something different by that. But the songs about heaven are just amazing. There is a song about heaven that is not in our books and we don't sing it in our churches because it's not really designed to be a hymn. But I would imagine it's a song that probably everybody, probably everybody in this room has heard at some point in time. And it's a song that I love. It's a song I can only imagine. Can only imagine. And I love that song. I love the video that goes with that song where moms and dads and where sons and daughters and grandparents and where husbands and wives are holding the pictures of loved ones who have left this world and have died. And the theme of the song is that you can only imagine what their eyes might be, might be seen in eternity. I can only imagine. There are a lot of things, ladies and gentlemen, about which we can only imagine. I can only imagine what it was like on July the 20th, 1969, when Neil Armstrong set foot on the lunar surface for the very first time and looked back at our little blue planet. I can only imagine what that would have been. I can only imagine what it's like the first time that a surgeon opens a human chest and sees with his own eyes a beating human heart. I can only Imagine. I can only imagine what it would have been a century and a half ago when a slave held a piece of paper and for the first time for anybody in the generations of their family, they were truly free. I can only imagine. But there are many things, of course, about which we do not have to imagine. Just think about what we have been allowed to see. The brightness of a grandchild's eyes or the bride and groom exchanging vows or a child graduate or a lost soul being baptized and rising to walk in newness of life. Or as Americans, Purple Mountain's majesty from sea to shining sea, we have been allowed to see just amazing things. But all of that, all of that pales in comparison to what is said in Revelation 4 and beginning in verse 1. Listen to what John writes. After these things I looked, and behold a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. And the emphasis, of course, is you must come up here, and that is to a realm that human eyes simply cannot see. And he was going to introduce us to some things about heaven things that God wants us to know and to understand. It's interesting that when Paul would write about that, he would say, look, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And the operative word there, of course, is the word set. It's like a pilot who sets a course to reach a destination. And so Paul is saying, look, I want you to think about things above, focus on things above, strive for things above. We all need to do that, of course. And when we think about heaven, ladies and gentlemen, we're compelled to ask, What do we? What do we think? Not long ago in my church family at Temple Terrace, I preached a simple lesson entitled Heaven's Top Ten. Ten things that everybody needs to know about heaven. I don't want to preach that tonight, but I would like to list those ten things for you very quickly, if I may. Ten things that I think all of us as children of God need to know and understand about heaven. So let me list them for you very quickly. Number one, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place, I know that, because Jesus told us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. And when he would say in John 14, and beginning of verse 2, In my Father's house there are many rooms. And so heaven is God's home. 
Heaven is not a feeling or emotion or a transitory state. It is not a fairy tale. Heaven is not a galaxy far, far away. As the old-time preachers used to say, heaven is a prepared place for the prepared people of God. Heaven is a real place. Secondly, heaven is not like earth. Heaven is not like earth. Why was John told, I want you to come up here? And the answer, of course, is because there isn't anything on earth to compare with heaven. Here we are bothered by so many things. We're bothered by weather and bugs and weather and crime and weather and traffic and weather and politics and weather and all kinds of different things. But in heaven, none of that is there. Here we take medicine for our illnesses and naps for our weariness. We secure our homes with alarms and we grieve our losses at cemetery. But heaven is not like that at all. In fact, in the Revelation, the Bible says, God is saying, Behold, I will make all things new. Heaven is not like earth. Number three, modern witnesses are bogus. Modern witnesses are bogus. And here's what I mean by that, that over the past decades, there has developed a cottage industry in the religious publishing business of individuals who claim that they've either died or they've had a near-death experience and they come back and they want to write a book to tell you about what they heard and what they saw, which I find absolutely amazing, ladies and gentlemen, because in 1 Corinthians 12, An inspired apostle who actually saw things in heaven says, you know what, I would like to tell you about that, but what I saw is either indescribable or it is not lawful for me to speak. And yet these individuals come back and they just can't stop talking about what they saw, supposedly, allegedly. If you want to know about heaven, ladies and gentlemen, don't don't buy a book by someone looking to line their pockets. Just read what the Holy Spirit has revealed. In God's holy word. Number four, not everyone goes to heaven. I know it's not popular to say that. I know that's not politically correct. I know, as we said Sunday morning when we began, that we live in an all-inclusive, everybody-gets-a-trophy kind of world. We live in a world where everybody believes that they're all right with God. I'm okay, you're okay, God loves us anyway. But Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, you, you are my Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It really doesn't matter what the preacher says at your funeral, ladies and gentlemen. Our lives consist of choices that will determine, ultimately, our eternal destiny. And fifth, we don't become angels. That's an important consideration. We probably don't talk nearly as much about angels as we should. Angels are amazing beings with an amazing job. Their job, Hebrews 1 and beginning of verse 14, is that they are ministering spirit, sit forth to minister to those of us who are the heirs of salvation. And I don't know about you, but I don't see a time element on that. I don't see an expiration date on that. I believe that God still uses angels for that very purpose. But the fact of the matter is that we will not become angels. Angels angels are created beings. We were made in the image of God. Number six, you will still be you. You will still be you. One of the questions that always arises when you begin talking about heaven, somebody immediately is going to ask, will we know each other in heaven? That's a good question, a fair question, a legitimate question. I'll tell you tonight that I have friends who are on both sides of that equation. Some who say, yes, we will. Some who say, no, we will not. I will tell you that from my point, and this is just my point, and that's all it is, from my vantage point, I am firmly in the yes column. I believe that absolutely and unequivocally we will know each other in heaven. I read passages, for example, like 1 Thessalonians 2 and beginning in verse 19, 
where Paul said, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? And so Paul seems to say, look, I'm going to know you and you are going to know me. And somebody says, well, but Don, won't we miss, won't we miss people who are not there? I don't know, and I'll tell you that I don't worry much about that. Is anything too hard for God? I believe that God can certainly work that out in however way that He wants to resolve that issue. Quite honestly, ladies and gentlemen, because of my age, I've got selective memory already, so I think that would be an easy matter for God to take care of. And then seventh, you will, however, be different. You will still be you, but you will, in fact, be different. I know that because the Bible says that we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye at the last trump, at the coming of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and following. What exactly will that post-resurrected body be like and life be like? I don't know. I know that John said it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like Him. What I do believe is that we will no longer need some of the accoutrements that we need as we age in this world. I don't believe we're going to need walkers anymore, canes anymore, or eyeglasses anymore, hearing aids, or, or any of those kinds of things anymore in heaven. Although I am pretty sure that most all the men are going to have very distinguished white mustaches. But, <clears throat> just my opinion. Number eight, time will be no more. Time will be no more. We sing about that, don't we? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. The fact of the matter is that God put the luminaries in heaven in Genesis 1 so we could have a demarcation of time. Sun and moon in their place, doing their job, so that time could be demarked for us. But according to Revelation 21 and verse 23, in heaven God is the light. The Lord is the light. And so no more time, no more running late, no more rushing to be somewhere, no more checking the clock, no more checking the calendar. And let me tell you what else that means, ladies and gentlemen. It means that we will no longer be diminished by time. All of us with the passing of time are diminished in this world. But when time shall be no more, There'll be no more diminishment. We have phrases in our vernacular such as, well, he's past his prime. We talk about people in sports and we'll say, well, he's past his prime. What do we mean by that? We mean that he's aged and with the age has come the diminishing of skills. But none of us will be past our prime because time will be no more. That's a good thought, isn't it? At lunch today, I was telling them that uh, a couple of years ago, we had our son and daughter, they were both at the house for Thanksgiving, and we were talking, and my son lives in Atlanta, and so when he's home, he's always asking about, about the people at church, because he grew up, that was his church family that he grew up in, and he asked about somebody at the table, at Thanksgiving table, and I said, well, you know, they're not really doing very well right now, Josh, they're having some physical difficulties, but in particular, they're having, they're experiencing some dementia, and I said to Josh and to my daughter Heather, I said, look, I've told you all this before and I want to tell you again that if that ever happens to me, if that begins to happen to me and I, I'm repeating myself or what I'm saying is not making sense, if, I, if I'm just impaired in some way, don't, don't let me preach. And my son spoke up and he said, Oh, Dad, that day's come and gone. <laughs> and I told him, Oh, son, you just simplified my will. And so... <laughs> but... 
when time is no more, that kind of diminishment will be no more either. Number nine, we won't be tempted anymore. Isn't that a wonderful thought? In heaven, we will no longer be tempted. I know that is true because Revelation 20 and 10 says that our adversary, the devil, will be cast into a lake of fire. And so where we are, he will no longer be. Every negative thing to which you were exposed in this life will not be there. And one of those is temptation. No deception, no more sin. And then tenth, we will no longer miss or we will not miss our old lives. There's a statement made by Paul, Philippians 1, beginning in verse 23. When Paul said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which would be far better. The newer translations say it would be better by far. But literally it is, to depart and to be with Christ is very much far better. And if, ladies and gentlemen, it is very much far better than anything that we can experience now, then it is axiomatic that we will not miss this life. In our church family, (coughs) Temple Terrace, we had six members who died of COVID. And in the funeral for the, the sixth funeral that I did for the sixth member, I talked about this lady and I said, I want you to understand that today, today, as Paul would say, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ because this will be better. I said, let's understand that no more, no more will she ever drive by a cemetery. No more will she turn on a light or take a medicine or no more will she grieve a loss. No more will she endure any of the things that we endure in the here and the now. We will not miss our old lives. It is true that there is much about which we can only imagine. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, there is much about heaven that we know with certainty. In the book of Revelation, how many times have you heard that The book of Revelation, at least in the initial chapters, divides itself very neatly and easily. Chapter 1 is a true and legitimate introduction to the book. Chapters 2 and 3 are the letters that Jesus wrote, seven letters to seven churches for all time. And then in chapter 4, the curtain of the apocalypse is drawn back. And the very first thing that we see, the very first thing that we will learn about heaven is that it is as we sing the the wonderful city of God. The very first thing that John is allowed to see is that God, God is in heaven. And that's so important, is it not? And so in Revelation 4, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their very being. When you segue out of chapter 4 into chapter 5, now now the emphasis is on the Lamb, Jesus. And to Him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then when you segue out of 4 and 5, you get to chapter 7 and it says salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so in those chapters, the emphasis is, over and over and over, that this this is the city of God. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. We spend a lifetime praying to God, singing to God, talking about God, converting the lost to God, bowing our heads before God, following God. But in heaven, we actually get to be with God. Again, what did Jesus say? My Father's house has many rooms. 
And in essence, that's what happens when we die. We go from one room into another, the room that is in this world, into the room that God has prepared for us. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that's the essence of heaven. The essence of heaven is not a street of gold. It is not gates of pearl. The essence of heaven is, it is the dwelling place of God. Let me say this to you clearly tonight. I say this as kindly as I know how to say it, but also as candidly as I know how to say it. If that doesn't mean much to you now, if being in the presence of God now in worship, if that doesn't mean the world to you, then it probably will not mean much to you in heaven. At the end of the revelation, the narrative, the narrative says this, The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name His <clears throat> name shall be upon their foreheads. What an amazing thought that we shall see the face of God. Because I'm talking to an audience tonight, we've grown up in this setting, and so we know, we know the story, for example, of Moses, who would, who would in, inquire of God and say, God, if I, could just, if I could just see your face, and God says, I'm sorry, but I, I can't do that. You can't see my face and live. But in eternity, we actually get to see the face of God. Seeing the face of someone for the first time is so important, isn't it? Most of the men in this audience, if you are married, you can remember the, the first time that you saw your bride in her, in her wedding dress. And maybe you stood in a building like this and you looked at the back and there she was and what it was to see, to see the face of your bride. Or can you remember the first time that you looked into the eyes of your, your newborn child? Job said, I shall see God for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me for that. The Revelation, Revelation 21 and verse, <clears throat> verse number 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. Over and over and over and over and over in the Revelation, the wording is that God is there, the Lamb is there. This is the essence of heaven. But in particular, I want you to look at these words with me. I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You know, the temple we always talk about represented the, <clears throat> the presence of God. And that is certainly true. And so God's presence is represented in the Holy of Holies. And he, he, it is said, dwelt between the cherub and the mercy seat. And so the temple represented the presence of God. But there's no temple in heaven. Have you ever thought about the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that the temple also represented separation from God? See, we don't ever think about that. But the temple also represented separation. Because at the temple, there were, there were multiple courtyards, and your nation, your gender, your nationality, your heritage determined how close you could get to God, at least in the, in the Jewish way of thinking. And so Samaritans, for example, they, they could not enter the temple area at all. And the unclean could not enter the compound at all. And Gentiles could not go beyond the court of the Gentiles. And women could not go beyond the court of women. And the average Jew certainly could not even get close to the Holy of Holies. And so while the temple did in fact represent the presence of God, in many ways it, separated, it represented layers and layers and layers of separation from God. But in heaven there is no temple. 
Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And so there is no separation between man and God. And the implication is that we are in the presence of God, not, not just for a moment, not so that we can just walk up in a, in a line. I've, I've had this happen before where you walk up, you have your picture taken with somebody, and then they scurry you on, you've got to move along, get along. No, the implication is you get to be with, with God in eternity. No wonder we have sung in our churches for generations the great old hymn, when we all get to heaven. What a, what a great thought that is. We're going to sing that at the end tonight. What a great thought, when we all get to heaven. It's an amazing statement in Revelation 7, the beginning of verse 9. Listen to what it says. After these things, John says, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, listen to it, of all the nations and tribes and peoples, and tongues, and they stand before the throne and before the Lamb, and they are clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands. I want you to notice the language here. There is a great multitude which, which no one could number, not just a handful of individuals, but people from the length and the breadth of this globe, from every nation and language and race, because there is no respect of persons with God. Godly people, simple people, famous people, poor people, and the common thread is they walked by faith and lived obediently before the Lord. When Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 37, look, come unto me, all of you who are laboring, heavy laden, all of you who are sick and tired of being sick and tired of sin, all of you who are tired of carrying around the burden of guilt, all of you who are tired of all of that, come to me and I'll give you rest. And in Revelation 7, what you are seeing, ladies and gentlemen, is the fulfillment of that. Whosoever will, Jesus said, may come. And that's what they did. To use Bible language, these are the ones who, according to Revelation 20 and verse 11, they have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. To use Jesus' language in the mountain message in Matthew 7, these are the ones who proved themselves wise because they built their house upon a rock. And forgiven by God, these are the ones who have learned to forgive others. And loved by God, they love others. Behold a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the tongues. And so again, I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that a being with the people of God doesn't mean a great deal to you now. It probably won't then. And beyond that, if there, if there are people among the people of God who because of their nation or tribe or tongue or people that you prefer not to be with, then what makes you think that you would want to be with them in eternity? We're better than that. We are made for something better than that. We are made, ladies and gentlemen, for the home of the soul. <clears throat> for the home of our soul. And so again in Revelation 4 and beginning in verse 1, John says, I heard a voice and the voice said, I need you to come up here. Come up here so I can show you what must be hereafter. And again, he must come up there because there is nothing on this earth that compares to heaven. Nothing. It doesn't matter what your eyes have seen on this earth. Nothing will compare to heaven. I have been so blessed in my adult life. I, I grew up as a boy throughout, throughout my growing up years 
we lived in little bitty tiny places. I never imagined that I would see anything outside of these United States. Never even crossed my mind that I would. But I have been so blessed in my adult life. I've seen the Atlantic and the Pacific. I have seen the Mediterranean and the Aegean. I've seen the Colorado Rockies and the Swiss Alps. I've seen the White House in Washington, D.C., and I've seen the Kremlin in Moscow, Russia. I've seen the castles of Europe and the Temple Mound in Jerusalem. But I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing, there is nothing on this earth that compares to what John saw in heaven and to what we will one day see. I've wondered often, what was it like for John? What was it like for John when he realized that the revelation of heaven was ending? And he came to realize that he was back in this world, on this earth, and that this is where he had to live out his life. Don't you know that there was not another human being on this earth who wanted heaven any more than John. This is our hope. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one thing to know that there is a hope out there. It's another thing to know that that hope is yours and that it's mine. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to emcee a a banquet in the state of Alabama. And the guest of honor that night and the speaker that night was Sean Alexander. You know who that is? Sean Alexander was an amazing football player. He played at the University of Alabama. He uh, was an All-American there. He was a first-round draft pick of the Seattle Seahawks. He played for a decade for Seattle. He is a Hall of Fame player. He was a MVP of the league one year. He was an amazing football player. <clears throat> In his post-football career, he has become a philanthropist. He, everything that he does in life revolves around doing for others. He has ten children, and he is a man of deep and abiding faith. And that night as I got to speak about him and introduce him, and as I was able to sit and to talk with him while we had dinner. He talked about his faith, and then during his speech that night, he, he talked about the fact that, that he was a man of faith, and he said, I got my faith from my grandmother. And he said, the man that I am today is because of my grandmother and because of the seeds of faith that she planted in my heart that germinated and took root and grew. And then he said, My grandmother passed away just a few weeks ago. And he said, when I heard that she was dying, he said, I left immediately and I flew to where she was. And he said, I went immediately to her bedside. And he said, I knelt down beside her. And he said, I took that, I took that hand in mine. And I told her, I said, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that you're going to be leaving this world. And Sean Alexander said that his grandmother looked at him and said, Sean, Sean, do not not weep for me. 
And he said, my grandmother told me three things. She said, Sean, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And I know where I'm going. And I want to ask you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, if you can say those three things. That you know in your heart of heart who you are, if you're a child of God or not. If you know whose you are, that you belong to Him all in, completely, totally, completely. And do you know where you're going? Can you say with Paul tonight, there is a crown of life laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. Again, it's one thing to know there is a hope. It's another thing to be able to say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation. Purchase of God. Born of His Spirit. Washed in His blood. If tonight you've never been washed in the blood of the Lamb, if you've never been buried in baptism so that you could rise to walk in newness of life now and in the promise of eternal life to come, or if you're God's child and somehow, some way, you have forfeited and lost that inheritance, would you tonight, before you leave this building, make that right with God? If there's a response tonight that you need to make in a public way and we can help you, we hope you'll let us. Let's stand and let's sing. and free.